Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Jack Sadler, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Really excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here too. I mean, we've known each other for a long time. You and I have been talking since you started Part 3. You're the CEO and co-founder of Part 3 longtime supporter of Entree Architect and Gable Media. So I'm sure people have heard about you and what Part 3 does. And so I wanted to invite you on the show to talk a little bit more about how it all started. I want to learn about you. I want to learn about Part 3 and how Part 3 is working to make the industry better. And so I'm excited to have that conversation. So let me introduce you in case anybody doesn't know who you are. You are the CEO and co-founder of Part 3, where the mission is to enable architects and engineers to manage construction with speed automation and intelligence. Jack has held strategic roles and helped launch multiple tech companies prior to taking on the challenge of connecting construction teams and starting his company part three. And I want him to share more of that story. So Jack, I'd love for you to go down and back as far as you want to go and share your story. You know, when did you discover your passion for what you do? And maybe even who or what inspired you to get started? Yeah, that's a good one. I feel like my story is probably similar to other entrepreneurs, where it's a series of events that just kind of accidentally lead you into a path you didn't know you wanted to pursue. Yeah. When I was young, I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to help animals. I wanted to go into medicine. I had 
zero other ambition or even any other knowledge that there were other jobs out there. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> How early did you decide that you wanted to be a vet? Oh, like 10 years old. Yeah. Like way too early. Yeah. And then just ran with it and then convinced myself that's what I was going to be. And then it didn't take too long before I realized vets are supposed to get straight A's and that was really not in the cards <laughs> for me. <laughs> and when did you discover that? Also pretty early on, I guess. Yeah. So sort of when you get to end of high school, start of university, it was pretty clear that this was not the path that meant for me. So I started looking at what else can I do? And the only thing I was good at at the time was math. So I went to university for math thinking, hey, I can get into something to do with finance or economics. That's fun. That probably pays well. That would be a good career path. And then quickly, you know, studied economics, studied math, enjoyed parts of it, but really quickly found out that I was also not meant to be in finance. Got a job in investment banking, hated wearing a suit and a tie and being smart. Anyone who was in Austin for the event last year will know I was walking around in a t-shirt the whole time and refused to do anything remotely smart and formal. <laughs> so investment banking wasn't for me either. So then I took uh, a job in tech, a bank, because it felt like the only way to sort of make a change that was within reach at the time. It also didn't pay very well. It was a starting point though into product development. And I started to get this exposure to how you can just look at a problem find any new business mission, vision, any new idea or any problem and start to figure out how software could help you. And it was kind of a crucial time where access to software and new ideas had changed, right? Suddenly we had infrastructure as a service. We had cloud-based solutions that you could build off the top of. So shipping new websites and newly designed products was more reachable and attainable than ever before. So we started doing that. I went into consulting. I started helping companies understand how to ship new products and new businesses moved into product leadership roles, designing new tools. And then eventually, through my partner, started getting a lot of exposure into construction. She, at the time, worked for one of the most major general contractors in Canada, which is where I'm based, and then shifted to an architecture firm because she wanted to kind of be closer to that consulting side, closer to the clients and the design vision and help them realize that. So in doing that shift, I became closely aware of where there were gaps in the industry, where technology could potentially be solving some of the problems that she would spend hours and hours working on. So eventually we teamed up. I started helping. How could we look at what's on the shelf, look at what's out there, figure out how we could improve the daily life of what she was going through and started to realize where the gaps were. And we teamed up and decided, hey, let's fill this biggest gap, which at the time we felt was there was no one out there helping architects bring their design intent to life and have them automate away and remove the need for this paperwork and spreadsheet-heavy process, and instead just get them focused on managing construction and focused on design. So that's where we felt our draw, and we teamed up to work on this idea and this fledgling that eventually became what is now part three. What's your partner's name? Her name is Jess. She's a co-founder. Okay, co-founder. And so what are your roles? What's your role and what's Jess's role? Yeah, so there's actually three of us that founded the company. So my role, CEO, I tend to do most things that are focused on growth, business development. So I do an awful lot of speaking to architects and engineers, trying to figure out where the biggest pains are, if part three is right for them and how it can fit in. And then I spend a lot of time working with investors, working on the financial side of the business as well. And Jess really kind of takes over absolutely everything to do with the community that we're building, with the customers that are using part three. So if you're an architecture firm using the software, 
chances are you spoke to me first and then Jess became your favorite person after that. And Jess was the person that helped get you set up, get you trained, handles any questions. She leads the entire customer experience team and makes that feedback and those visions from architects in the industry into the product direction and into the product roadmap, working closely with the technical team. And our third co-founder is Corey. He's the CTO that once Jess and I had this kind of idea that sounded crazy, we pulled Corey into the basement and said like, hey, we think we found something. This is an idea we want to build. Pitched it to him and we started coding it that weekend. That was going to be one of my questions is where did the tech come from? Because it sounded from your story that you weren't tech-based. You were interested in tech and you brought your people skills and your vision skills to the industry, but you didn't have the tech background. And Jess is the operations person, right? The community builder, the integrator. And so somebody needed to do the tech. And so someone had to build the thing. Yeah. (laughs) So how did you know Corey? Where did Corey come from? How did you meet Corey? Corey and I met through another friend where we were working together at the same company. So we actually worked at two different companies together. Uh, We've sort of dabbled in a few ideas outside of work before, uh, worked in a few different projects and stuff like that. But uh, it was, it was, always the first person I was going to go to with anything. He's kind of one of those unicorns. In the tech world, there's always people like me and Jess pitching investors, pitching new ideas. And every single one of us sits in a room and says, we found the perfect CTO, the perfect person who can do all the things. But we actually mean it. And I always have a hard time getting that across. <laughs> like, this sounds cliche, but it's true. Yeah. Not only can this guy do front-end code and back-end, but he can design software. He can speak to customers and speak to clients and actually sound you know, reasonable and sensible. And he can take big ideas and break them down. So the three of us kind of together filled all the gaps. It's, a, it's an incredibly niche and specific area to get into. So you kind of need all of that. You need the industry expertise. You need to go to market and sales expertise. But you also just need really great technology, beautiful experiences and designs. And, and to make sure that the three of those come together, that's, that's what's made us so strong in those early days. Yeah, that's very interesting. I agree with you. The function of software in our industry, right, with architects, the function of the software is super important, right? It needs to do what it needs to do efficiently and effectively. But the way it looks and the experience for architects, it matters, right? It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. That if you don't have a tool that looks beautiful and doesn't, you know, really focus on the design of the interface, it matters, right? Architects will not enjoy using it as much as if it was designed well. And they're a vocal crew. Yeah. They'll let us know. When we put things and they think it's in the wrong place, they let us know straight away, which is what we love about this community. But yeah, and it's design is everything. Like, you know, it has to look nice and it has to feel modern and elegant. But really, design is also how you're going to use it is the functional purpose. So design in ways of where things are placed and how many clicks it takes to get to certain places and fulfill certain jobs. Like I think that's a really hard skill to have. So it's definitely one, you know, it comes with some trial and error and some testing. But that in itself becomes a company's secret weapon. When you're an early stage startup and everyone knows you don't have a full set of functionality and the product is still got a way to go. I think like having great relationships and the ability to lean in and listen, hear what customers are experiencing, where the gaps are, and then prove that you can react and ship those enhancements quickly to sort of build that trust. That's been our secret weapon in the early days. And I know there's other startups that were playing that story too, but it's, it's an incredible talent to have. And it's, I think, 
the strength of building in this world as well is architects, engineers, they're kind of naturally interested in this. Mm. So they really do lean in and they provide that feedback and they want to work with us. So it's become a secret weapon that we've sort of adopted and used as many times as we can. Let's dive into what part three is and how it works. And then I want to go back to the beginning and sort of talk about how you got to what it does, right? How you got to the tool that you've developed. So talk about what part three is and how it helps architects. Its mission is really quite simple. It's intelligent construction administration software. And the entire purpose is construction administration, contract administration. It's just incredibly arduous. It's time consuming. It's pulling architects away from their natural skill set. Like I spoke recently at an AIA event and I sort of alluded to how I got to know this process. And as I got to know these end users in construction admin, that in any given day, an architect goes from being a designer to a project manager, to a construction manager, to a psychologist, to an accountant, and then to a lawyer, and then back again in the same day. And I think that's way too many hats to wear. So there's software like ours can help remove some of that paperwork, remove the burden of the accounting, the legal remove the burden of things that are not core to design and construction. If we can do that, we can free them up to spend time where it matters. So intelligent construction administration is all about simplifying and automating away the administrative burden, the pieces that should not be a time suck like they are today. And if we can do that, we can start to facilitate better collaboration between the consultants. We can mobilize teams faster and we can just keep the pace of construction moving way quicker. So that's kind of the goal and the ethos of where this is headed. Can you sort of walk me through a typical architect using the software on a daily basis? Like what type of architect is your target market and sort of walk through, you know, a day in the life of using part three? Typically working with folks of all sizes. So we'll reach out to architecture firms that could be anywhere from the solar practitioner. We work with a firm that's one person up in the Yukon designing schools and fire stations up Yukon and Eastern Alaska. But we also work with you know, public companies, thousands of employees, building huge infrastructure improvements and enhancements across multiple cities. So we've got the full spectrum, but the sweet spot is usually in that small to mid-sized firm, you know, five employees to 100 employees. And the role really is you know, everything from responding to submittals and RFIs as quickly as possible and in understanding the data behind that to improve and get faster. It's issuing changes and instructions, removing the burden of Excel logs, of AIA documents and things that sort of pull you into Microsoft Word, helping you get to site more often. So being able to create a based app that can go to site, function offline and let you take site reports that you distribute before you get in the car versus having to do it that night or three days later when you're back at site or hand over carbon copy paper. So we want to replace all that. And then helping these firms understand from all this activity, from all this behavior, Where are the bottlenecks? What are you doing well? What could be improved? Where do you have room to improve for the next project? And how can you start to differentiate yourselves on these services? Because I think that gets lost as well. Construction administration is kind of viewed as this loss leader. It's this necessity, this process you have to go through, but you don't make any money off of it. And we want to change that. We want to help you make profit, help you reduce the cost and increase your margins. And in turn, show how effective you are. Show how performant your teams are so that you can start to differentiate your services through the construction process as well. When you say intelligent construction administration, what does that word mean? 
from your point of view? How is it intelligent? And this word is evolving, right? I yeah. think in the last couple of months, the word intelligence means so much to so many people, whereas maybe had a totally different meaning just a few months ago. And in a few months' time, by the time people are listening to this, it could have an entirely different meaning again. Intelligence to me means doing some thinking, surfacing problems before you knew they were there. So what we want to do is surface these insights, surface these patterns that we can detect in projects and raise them to you before they become a failure or an issue. So that can be anything from letting you know, you know, you've got two days to respond to this RFI, but this consultant you've assigned, they take too long. So you're not going to reach that burden. You need to get ahead of that. But it could be much more substantial things like leveraging intelligence to help you review submittals and technical product data. There is a lot of tools out there now that are enabling folks like us to help use AI, use generative AI to help create responses, to help aid in some of that really technical, heavy, time-consuming process. So we're leveraging things like generative AI in the submittal process. But intelligence in general is ways to surface problems to the expert before they become problems and help them with that cognitive load so they can focus on solving problems instead of having to find where they might be. So it's like having a hyper-experienced construction administration partner in your firm, but it's a software tool. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to coin it. Perfect. Right? Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial, especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. You don't even have to register. So go try RCAT.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Unlock your full potential as an architect business owner at Entree Architect Network. Since 2013, Entree Architect has been the premier membership community designed exclusively for small firm entrepreneur architects like you. Join a vibrant community of like-minded professionals and gain access to a wealth of resources, mentorship, and support. From comprehensive courses to expert guidance, Entree Architect Network equips you with the necessary tools to thrive in your career. Master business strategies, enhance your marketing techniques, and excel in project management, all while fulfilling your continuing education requirements along the way. Break free from the isolation and connect with a supportive network that understands the unique challenges that you face as an architect business owner. Whether you're a startup architect or a seasoned professional looking to make a difference, join us and we will help you elevate your career, boost your confidence, and unlock opportunities for your architecture firm. When our community of entrepreneur architects is linked and leveraged as one, there's no limit to the impact that we can have on the world. Visit EntreeArchitect.com today and become part of our thriving network. 
Unleash the full potential of your architecture business. Join Entree Architect Network today, the premier global business organization for small firm architects. Learn more at entrearchitect.com. So that's interesting. That's very interesting. And if anybody wants to go, I think you can get a demo, right? Go to part3.io and have a demo. Yep, absolutely. There's videos online. You can reach out to us and we can set up a quick call or you can download some videos and take a look for yourself. Okay. So if anybody wants to see how it works and what it looks like, it's part three, the number three. So P-A-R-T, the number three, dot I-O. You can learn more about it. Jack, I want to also talk about how you got to where you are now, right? In terms of the technology, you've picked a very specific part of the process and you've develop the software in a very specific way to help. So can we go back to making that decision, you and Jess having those conversations, trying to figure out where can we help, right? Because you decided, okay, we're going to focus on the construction industry, going to focus on architects. What part of the process can we do? How did you get to construction administration? I mean, like anything, you start where you know best. And we started there because Jess's background is Absolutely. Her expertise lie in construction. That's where she spent her entire time, her entire career. So it was the part of the process we knew best. As we started to look into it, though, the problem became more appealing to us because we started to realize, you know, it started to look like a spreadsheet problem, a time management problem. And there's always value in solving for things like that. But when we started to realize that beneath the spreadsheet, there were, you know, issues with teams collaborating with others, there were issues with people not being able to generate value and people not being able to even bill for their time properly through risk of running out of hours and things like that. So it became a really fundamental business challenge that we wanted to take on. We looked at other areas. We knew that design is probably the most solved area. There's going to be more and more innovation in design, but it's probably the most competitive space to end up in and it's the best served in terms of technology right now. And there's a few tools out there that are helping with things like CDs. So this felt like the biggest gap in the industry, the best use of our experience and our expertise, and something that we could start with right away because we had a few, not many, but some connections some friends and folks that were willing to look at prototypes, validate ideas, tell us what was crap, tell us what was great, and help refine those initial ideas. How did the process work? Once you decided, okay, this is where we wanted to focus technically, like how did you start the process where you didn't have any money? You didn't have a lot of money, right? You probably had something to start it with. So how did that work? Yeah, we did not have a lot of money. So we started this with full-time jobs. Me, Jess, and Corey, there was the famous meeting in the basement where we got sticky notes out. We started to break down the problem. We went through a design thinking exercise where you start to craft like potential solutions. How might we solve this? How might we enable this and go through that? And then after a two-day workshop, we had a whole bunch of whiteboards fully sketched out, a whole bunch of prototypes drawn on sticky notes and pieces of paper. And Corey went that weekend and drew a prototype in Figma in a design tool. That prototype went through many iterations and improvements all outside of our day job. We all had full-time day jobs at the time. And we started showing it to everyone that would listen to us. We started getting architects to take a look, click around with prototypes, tell us what they thought. And eventually, one of those architects felt like we were onto something enough to give us a tiny amount of money and actually use it. 
and they told us, you know, all the things that they loved about it and all the things we needed to improve. But that partner became a critical step to us. So now I'm in sort of end of 2020. We found that early architecture firm to start using it. They spent a few months refining it with us. Start of 2021, we felt like this had kind of hit an MVP state and we could go out there and start finding other architects that might want to use it. And then things sort of took off a little bit from there. But that was the starting process. It was going through prototypes, talking to everyone and anyone who would give us feedback and and just refining it, staying connected to the community. I love that you started it with paper. Yeah. You went into the basement and it's sticky notes and whiteboards, magic markers and coffee. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) You won't find a single piece of paper or pen in my office. But the second we get into ideation like that, it's the best way to do it. We're drawing on the walls. We're drawing on everything. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So once you got that initial, you wouldn't consider that a seed, right? That's just sort of angel, you know, somebody gave you some money to develop the idea, right? So how did it go from there financially to where you are now, where you've just raised an A round? So it's big numbers now. And so you're in a much bigger place than you were at that point. So take us through that journey to where you are now. Right. We're not quite at A round, but we did just raise our second round, which we're okay. classifying as a seed round. But Got it. Okay. So what happened was once we were in 2021, we got our first couple of customers. There's still not a penny in the business. The only money that's coming in is from those two architecture firms who paid us a very small amount just to use the prototype. And so, still working jobs in order to pay your bills. Still working jobs. And then early 2021, Corey and I decided it was worth taking a risk. We had feedback from now two or three customers that we should take the plunge. So we both quit our day jobs. Corey went first. He took the leap first because we had to build a few more things. And I went second so we could start going out there and talking to more architects. And we spent 2020 earning zero money. We At that point, we'd given up our salaries. We couldn't draw from the business. So we spent 2020, two and a half of us, because Jess still had to work a, a full-time job as well at her architecture firm. And we spent that year bringing in the first few architects. We got to about 10 architecture firms in 2021, and including one very major public company, which gave us the ability to go out and try and get a pre-seed round. Mm-hmm. So that was the moment. It was March of 2022 that we closed. So we went through the process. We started pitching to investors. We started reaching out to advisors and network, presenting what we had, talking about the mission, the vision, where we wanted to take this. And that's a draining process. It took me a couple of months to kind of figure out how to speak to VCs and how to speak that language. But once you get the hang of it, I think it becomes fairly repetitive. Get into the swing of things. And we got that first lead investor in January 2022. The rest of the round started to come together. And we ended up closing a pre-seed round of about half a million dollars, which we could turn into those first hires and and that first go-to-market, that first product development to sort of add the finesse and add all the pieces we were missing so far. But that process was tough in its own. We definitely went through some ups and downs. I remember specifically one of the last days, we needed about 200,000 to sort of close the round and be done. And I had a day scheduled after going through several rounds of pitching this network of angel investors. And it's uh, typical that the day of the big pitch, 100 angels, definitely going to get the money. We went into labor with our second child. Oh boy. So, so needless to say, I couldn't make the pitch. I ran downstairs. I made a quick eight-minute video, apologized, recorded my pitch, sent it in in my place. And luckily, we got enough interest from that 
that later on we were able to go through a due diligence round and we ended up securing more than the money we need. We were oversubscribed at that point, which was great. So we locked in a pre-seed round. We hired our first people. So we went from a team of three part-timers to a team of eight. And then that got us through another year. And in that time, don't forget, and all of a sudden this thing called a recession hit. All of a sudden there was the VC pullback, which is a term I'd never heard. And now I'm sick of hearing it. The market took some very strange turns. Construction itself is, you know, we didn't know where that was going to fit. Architects are always the first hit when it comes to a recession. So there was a lot of skepticism about our business model as well. But we just kept hitting our own metrics. We kept hitting targets. We kept hitting numbers. We kept beating numbers, beating targets. So come 2022, we said, you know what? Let's forget about the market. This is the right time for us to grow. We have all these indicators. We have reviews from customers, customers asking us if they can come and work for us. We have all this great feedback. Let's build a team. Let's make sure we can hit the vision and the mission we want to do. So we wanted to go out there and raise a larger C round, scale and build the team, build the product out, build a community behind it. And that's where we are. So it started earlier this year. It took us about sort of six to eight weeks to find a lead investor. And then once we did that, the sort of secondary investor came along around the same time. It took a little while to fill out the round, but we got some great angel investors uh, with really, really deep ties into the construction tech world to fill out the round. And that's where we're at. So we're closing this week. So we're going to have an announcement come out. This will be a part of it, but we're going to turn this into the next phase. The next two years are going to be about growing the team, building the product and then leveraging that across the community. Yeah, what a great story. That's so exciting to sort of hear where you started all the way up to where you are now. Congratulations. Yeah, it feels really great to be here. I think, you know, raising money in itself is often sort of looked as the headline story, but really it's just an enabler. We're not going to celebrate raising the money and putting it in the bank. We're going to celebrate what it allows us to do next and the milestones that are going to come after this. But it's definitely putting rocket fuel into a vision, into a mission. So we're excited for that. So you mentioned a community. How can our members get involved in your community? Yeah, there's so many ways. So Pathways community kind of became a thing organically. We didn't intend to have a community strategy. It's now something that we care about, partly through lessons learned and actively becoming involved in the Entree Architect community and in organizations like CSI, where the specifiers and construction administrators live. Yep. But part three, you know, an architect used part three, the engineers, the contractors, the clients, they all come in, they all start using it. So they all become connected. We have emails that connect people and news stories that we share across. But the best ways to get involved, most architects and engineers by now have probably seen someone they know using part three or a project they know has been in part three. So if that's the case, just give it a try and let us know. But we're, we're starting to roll out webinars and we're going to start to be a little more active in places like this. Our role, we think, is not to necessarily create competing places to be. Like architects know where they want to be. So we actually view our role as to get involved and support the communities that make sense. The sister communities, the ones that are close to us and close to our customers and users. So you're going to see us around at CSI events, at Future Entree Architect events, at AIA events in your local chapters. So you'll see us in those places as well. Great. Yeah, I'd like to endorse that. I mean, you've done that with Entree Architect from the very beginning. Since you and I met, you engaged with the community. You understand that value of engaging with the community rather than selling, right? If you sell to architects, they shut down, right? They don't really want to be sold. Even if it's a (laughs) product that they need and they really want, they want somebody who understands them. 
And the best way to do that is to get involved and engaged in the community, become part of the community as an ally. And then they learn what you do and they want to support you and they want to help you and they want to, you know, use your tools. And so you've understood that for a long time. And so I appreciate that. Yeah. And definitely going to be there again in this fall. We'll be at the next one. So hopefully I'll see some people around there too. But no, I think it's the best way of doing this. Like one thing we loved about architects that I didn't appreciate at the start was, you know, it's a competitive industry. How can you create a community where the person sitting next to you could be a competition on the next bid? And so I found it really sort of difficult to understand how effective community would be. And then I started to realize actually more important than the competition was the elevation of the practice, the sharing of lessons learned, the sharing of, you know, failures and wins and bringing that back to the community. So we view ourselves as like an echo chamber because we have a whole group of all these folks as well. And we can share back their experiences and their stories and help others learn from them. And like you said, we're really focused on a niche topic and a niche area. But what that means is if you have challenges in that area and in construction and in the build phase, we're probably a really good resource for you just to help share back what other architects are experiencing and how they're solving those problems and differentiating their services and increasing their prices, increasing their revenue during that phase too. So we're happy to share all of that. So you can learn more about part three at part3.io. Jack, before we wrap up, I'd love to get your answer to my final question, right? You've built this company, you're the CEO, you've built it from scratch. So you're a perfect person to answer this question. What is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? It's a good question. If you boil it down to one thing, I always feel like the biggest gap in any business, especially a services business, is usually understanding where you're at today. So I think the biggest gap is usually just in not tracking, not understanding your current data. How can you improve if you don't know where you're at? How do you know where to improve? You don't know where the biggest issues are. So I think having really great tracking and quantitative data to supplement all of the qualitative feedback you're getting. Most small firms, you're speaking to all of your clients, you're tracking your own process. As you get bigger, you start to get to 5, 10, 20 employees. You start to rely on team members telling you where they're at. Certain team members are better at sharing than others, but that qualitative feedback only ever gets you so far. So you need to quantify how many projects are you winning per bid? How many issues are you running into in the SD and the CD phase? What's your profit margin in the CA phase? If you can't answer these types of questions, it's really hard to know where your biggest issue is. So I think lesson for step one, day one, track your data, understand it, and use that to prioritize where you think you can solve and focus your energy. His name is Jack Sadler. The company is Part3. The website is part3.io. Jack, thank you. Thanks for the support for all these years. Thanks for sharing your story. It's an interesting story. It's an inspiring and motivational story to hear where it started and where you are now. I can't wait to see where you're going. I'd love for you to come back and give us updates along the way as you continue to grow. I appreciate you. And thanks for coming by and sharing your story at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everyone. Great to be here. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a five-star rating Write a quick review and share a link to this episode with a friend because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. By sharing a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I appreciate you for that. 
Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode, RCAT and Entree Architect Network. Links to sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode and every episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. You can now earn continuing education credits for listening to this podcast. Select episodes of Entree Architect Podcast are approved for AIA continuing education credit. Learn more about our new Gable Members program at gablemedia.com slash members. That's G-A-B-L media.com slash members. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage. Love, learn, and go share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. 
there is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.